Good morning, Hills family. How are we doing today? All right. All right. Hey, wanna, um, one, uh, before I greet all the campuses, I want to congratulate all of you navigating the Two Cities Marathon and getting here to church. You're all survivors. If you're watching right now, um, this time of the year, every year, there's a marathon on this side of town, and they shut down a million streets, and it's, it's literally an incredible journey to get here. And those of you that got here, you're amazing. There's a bunch of you watching online that you didn't even bother today. You're like, nope, marathon, not going. I'm going to let you know something, though. There's a person in this room, I'm not going to single them out, don't worry. They ran the marathon today and came to church. So those of you online, no excuse. Okay. With that said, good morning to our online community. Um, <laughs> good morning to Old Town Campus. What's up, Pastor Dwayne? Out in Novato, Pastor Kevin. Uh, good morning to you guys. Uh, good morning to our Tulare Street Campus, Pastor Brandon. And watching right now, there is one person watching in the old uh, sanctuary in Selma. There, the church in Selma is still meeting live until next week. But Pastor Daniel Aiello is watching live right now. Good morning, Danielle. He's, he, Danielle. Daniel, he's testing out all the technology because they're going to go video next week. And um, it's going to be awesome. So I want to welcome them too. And our online people. We're so glad you're with us. Um, guys, if you uh, are anywhere near the North Campus, I do want to encourage you to go to that men's uh, breakfast. I just literally scanned the QR and signed up, uh, me and two other people. And uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Carl Bitter is going to be speaking at it. It's, um, it's, you know, that's Veterans Day weekend, and um, that's going to be a powerful moment. And I would encourage you, if you're a dude, show up to that. It's time for the dudes to show up at church, okay? I'm just going to let you know our uh, leadership, school leadership, 80% women. School theology, 80% women. Interns, 100% women. Get off your rear end, men, and start showing up to crap. I was told to talk to men like men, so there you go. If you're offended by that, we have pre-filled out complaint cards in the back. You can drop them in. So, guys, um, listen, a year ago, we uh, entered into something. I shared a vision with you. A year ago to this Sunday, I shared a vision with you called Raise to Life. And um, those of you that are watching at other campuses right now, um, our creative team wrote a song. They released it today. I'd never heard it before until today. I saw the lyrics because they made me do a theological check on it. Um, but um, they released a song called Raise the Life that at your campuses, you guys will be singing soon too. But man, wasn't that song a banger? That was so good. That song was so good. It even had our nine o'clock service singing. They were all in. It was amazing. Okay. I know, I know I just pulled the curtain back. I'm not supposed to talk about different services, but I did. Um, it was just like the church was in, but we entered into this thing and I shared it with you guys a, a year ago about how we wanted to raise up new believers, new churches, new buildings, that they'd be raised to life. And um, this morning I, I want to, I want us to celebrate what can happen in a year. Um, and actually really in, ju in just 10 months. But I also want us to look to God's word, look back to God's word before we look forward. And see, the, um, the book of First Chronicles in the Old Testament, First and Second Chronicles, actually, let me give you a little background to it before we read it, because I want you to understand where, where this book is coming from. So the book of First and Second Chronicles, it was written 
while Israel was in exile in Babylon. Everyone say Babylon. Babylon. They were in Babylon, right? Uh, and for them, like you have to understand what's going on. The very center of all Israelite culture was the temple and the sacrificial system and all that. And all of their holidays revolved around it. Their whole culture revolved around the presence of God and the temple. And they would go with their cousins and their aunts and their uncles and brothers and sisters and neighbors. And they, they would pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they would worship at the temple. And it was known as that's where the presence of God was. Now I want you to think about that for a second. In the Bible, God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. But what had happened is when the Israelites left Egypt, God said, build a tabernacle, a tent. That's what a tabernacle is. And set up the Ark of the Covenant in it. And, 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 and you're going to worship me around this tent. And I'm going to cause my presence to come upon you so that you can worship in my very presence. So God for, forever existed in the presence of the Israelites in this tent called the tabernacle. And then when David took Jerusalem, David realized, you know, oh my gosh, we've had God dwelling in a tent for 500 years. And he was sitting in his palace in Jerusalem and it dawned on him, how is it that my Lord dwells in a tent, but I'm in this giant palace that, that's been given to me? Now I want to remind you of something. Um, 50, 60 years ago, scholars would have told you that King David in the Bible probably wasn't a real person. They would have said, oh, we have no archaeological evidence that he ever existed. It's probably a story like Camelot, the sword and the stone, David and Goliath, very similar. They were just legends created to create Israeli culture. Um, he's not real. And then in 2002, Eli Shukron a young archaeological student at uh, Hebrew University was at a, they were digging a sewer line. And um, when, when the backhoe hit bedrock, he said, wait, that's too shallow for bedrock. Hold on. And he moved back all the dirt and he realized it was steps. And what he had found were the steps to the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam is where Jesus healed the blind man. And what would happen is the people would bathe in the pool of Siloam. They would ritually wash. And then they would walk up the steps to the temple. And as you would go up the steps to the temple, you would pass by the palace of David. And Eli Shukran said, stop, I found something. By the way, that's our guide when we go to Israel. Stop, I found something. Move back the dirt and realize that what he had found. And what we know now is that David was more than just a legend. He was a real character, a huge palace, a huge kingdom, all of that going on, all of it found. And again, when they said the Bible was a myth, archaeology found it to be true. I, I diverge, sorry. David's sitting in this palace, and he's like, God is in, in a tent. I, Lord, I want to build a temple for you. A palace for you. A place of your presence where Israel can come and worship. And God had said to David, you're not going to be able to do that. For your hands have spilled too much blood. Your son Solomon will build the temple. So David, in faith, set out and he called on the people of God. He called on Israel and said, we're going to build this temple. And we're going to give to it. And we're all going to sacrifice to it. Everyone sacrifice freely. Whatever you can give to the Lord, give to the Lord. And 
in First Chronicles, they, they bring all of their gifts to Jerusalem to build a temple that they would never see. They were building, they were giving to something that the next generation would benefit from. It was to no benefit of theirs whatsoever. They didn't come to Jerusalem and be like, well, I'm going to give this, but I want to make sure my name's on it. I'm going to give this. I want to make sure that, you know, it's being spent properly and you, you hire the right contractor. and you do the, It was none of that. It was, Lord, this is yours. And the book of First and Second Chronicles was written way after that had happened, but, but it was to remind the Israelites that were in exile, that were in Babylon, that they thought their whole way of life was gone. They thought their whole way of worship was, was gone forever. And the writers of First and Second Chronicles write to them to remind them that no matter how dark it is in your life, no matter how dark it is in your culture, that God is not done. And what we would find is eventually King Cyrus of Persia would, would release the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, right? But we're going to read this morning when the first temple was built. And when David and the people of God made these sacrifices so that the next generation could worship God in his presence. So we're going to read this morning from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 14 through 20. I'd love it if you could stand in honor of God's word. <clears throat> so they brought the gifts before God, and this is David speaking now. He says, but... Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name. It all comes from your hand and it all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you will test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All of these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen the joy of how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of, of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I've provided. And then David and the whole assembly, or David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all stood so stoically and said, I don't like this song. Oh, wait, they didn't do that, did they? David said, let me read it again. David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all came late and waited for the sermon. Oh, wait, sorry, I misread again. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all 
praised the Lord, the God of their fathers, they bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the King. This is God's word. You may be seated. So yet last year, we, we shared the vision of this gospel initiative. And we launched it on January 1, right? And, you know, here, here we are on no, November 6th. And we called this thing Raise the Life. And the reason we called it Raise the Life is um, this is a theme throughout the New Testament. Jesus in Revelation, he said, Behold, I make all things new. Right? He makes things new. He raises things from the dead. He makes um, the, the, the sick, the, the lame walk. He, he's always raising things. He's making things new. And there's this theme in Romans 6, right? Romans 6 through 4. Look what Paul says. He says, For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We're raised to life, right? Um, it says in Colossians 3.1, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on your fantasy football league. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Sorry. Set your hearts on your career. No. Sorry. Set your hearts on your kid's seven-year-old soccer club. No. None of those are bad things, by the way. What does it say? It says, since... Then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Right? What, what were the words of Jesus? He said, seek first the kingdom, and then all other things will be added to you. So we set out, and we set out to do three things as a church. And I'm going to go in reverse order because the number three is the most important one. We're going to raise up new buildings. Um, one of the things that we, we, we knew had to happen is um, here at this North Campus, um, and it's been in the plans of this church for 25 years, that eventually there would be a student building that would be a multi-purpose gym and a student lounge and all that because we are literally across the street from the largest, um, not number-wise, but largest square footage-wise, um, high school and junior high campus in California. There are thousands of kids there every day. There's a junior college across the street. And um, we were going to set out to do that and get that there. It had been in the plans and it was time to, to take that step of faith here on this campus. We wanted to set up fellowship areas in some of our other campuses. See, our other campuses are older campuses. And sometimes you need to bring new light through old windows Right, And one of the things about being part of the church, being the church, the way you be the church is that you develop relationships with one another and responsibilities to one another. Right, But what happens is, especially like we saw this happen at, old, at our Old Town campus, Old Town grew very fast and it grew really to a capacity. At some point we're going to have to add a third service there. Um, we're, we're sure of it. But here's what happens is in a little church like that, they have a, a tiny lobby. There's not a lot of areas for people to stand around and talk, to develop relationships, to develop responsibilities, to sign up for things, things like that. So we set out, we're going to build these fellowship areas. And we're, we're, we're in the plans with the city of Clovis right now at Old Town. We just built a beautiful, I'll show it next week, a beautiful lobby in our Novato campus. Um, we're doing these things so that people can develop those. Um, it's too 
too, too often that we've treated church like a product and that you come, you receive entertainment, and then you say, praise the Lord, and then you leave. But the church is a community. The church is the people of God that we come together. And part of our discipleship is that we develop relationships, responsibilities. Now, here's what I want you to understand. At Clovis Hills, we've set it up in a way where you can very slowly wade into that. You don't have to dive in. Or you can dive in, right, depending on your personality. Some of you, turn and greet your neighbor is like the worst 17 seconds of your life. You're like, oh, God, i got to talk to someone I don't know. Um, and I get that. So that's why that's wading in to relationships and responsibilities. But at some point, you've got to mature in Christ and take those next steps, right? So um, we launched, we we're launching a reading program at our, at our um, Tulare Street campus. And when we were working with the schools to do that, the city of Fresno came to us and said, hey, uh, thanks for remodeling your building. It's great. We were going to condemn it, but now we're not. But we're going to do it again because your parking lot looks like the surface of the moon. So we set out, we repaved the parking lot. It's beautiful. It makes for a really cool dodgeball court too. And we started this reading program there. And now there's a waiting list. The school nearby has a waiting list to get kids in it. And we're helping kids that were underperforming at their reading level to get to, get to um, their, their grade level, reading level. And um, the people of God are doing it. And I'm going to let you know, I, I believe it's every Thursday or every Friday, Pastor Brandon comes in and he reads to the kids. And he usually reads from the Bible and he tells them the gospel every week. We're planting the gospel in these kids' hearts and in this neighborhood. And see, God showed up in huge ways when we set out to do that. I don't know if you know this, but this, this campus is in the, was in the county of Fresno. We have all kinds of issues with water. I don't know if you know this. Water is the new gold. Um, so if you want to just bring bottles of water for the offering, we'll take that too. Um, but like we didn't have enough water and... Um, the, you know, we were waiting to get annexed by the city of Clovis and the, the county of Fresno was like, well, you can't really build anything until Clovis lets you. And Clovis is like, well, we're not going to let you build anything until you're in the city of Clovis because we get the fees and we don't want to give it to the county of Fresno. And we were kind of stuck. And then we had heard we were going to get annexed in. We had paid our fees. We had done all that. And then in March, I got a phone call saying, hey, Sean, the city of Clovis is bouncing Clovis Hills. You may not get annexed for the next 10 to 20 years. And that's when I called my prayer warriors and they began to pray. And that's when I called people in the church and they began to make phone calls. And we began to talk with the city council and with the mayor and with city planning. And here's what happens. Is the Bible talks about that um, the government, governors, rulers, that God can move them like water with his hands. He can divert them like water with his hands. And I want to let you know something. We began to pray. We began to engage. And two weeks ago, we were given our Clovis address. Right? This is what God does. This is what God does. And the city was incredibly gracious because God went, yeah, you're going to be gracious. Right? It was a Luke Skywalker move. These are not the droids. That's right. We are Clovis Hills on this campus. That's right, officially. So listen, I want you to understand something. Um, some of the criticism we get sometimes, though, is like, hey, you know, like we're taking on all these campuses. As a matter of fact, during this campaign, God opened the door for us to take on 
the campus at First Baptist Selma. It's a 100-year-old campus. The church is over 120 years old. Um, and um, starting next week, they'll start uh, meeting live in that sanctuary and worshiping with, with us as well. They're going to do a grand opening of the Hills Selma on in Easter of 2024. And we're very excited for it. And God gave us that. And then, but, but here's the thing. People will say, and I, I get it, it's a fair criticism. Sean, how come we don't focus on this campus? How come we don't focus here? Why don't we point our energy here? Well, here's what I would tell you is, A, we are, but there's a kingdom principle that, that God, God has shown, and I've lived by it my whole life, and God has blessed me for living by it my whole life. And I trust you, if you will apply this to your life, it is a blessing. Is a kingdom principle is that you will reap what you sow. And if you reap for something that is not your benefit, that is for the benefit of the kingdom, because it is way easier actually just to have one campus. I'm just letting you know. It's cheaper. It's, I'd have way less gray hair, way less miles on my car, all of that. But I, I want you to understand something. Jesus gave a, um, a parable, a story. And he talked about the, these, these three guys. And the master came to them and he gave all three of them an amount to invest. And one guy got five talents. The other guy got two. The other guy got one. And the guy with five talents took it right away, put those talents to work. Ended up making 10. The other guy had two, put it to work. Ended up making four. The other guy was like, ah, I don't want to lose the one. I don't want to come back with zero. So I'm just going to sit on this. I'm going to, you know, just kind of, hide it and make sure no one steals it. And that way, you know, I can give it back to the master. So the master comes back and he looks at the guy with five and he goes, well, I gave you five. What'd you do with it? And he goes, well, I put it to work. And um, well, now, now there's 10. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he looks at the guy with two and he goes, what'd you do? And the guy with two goes, well, I put it to work. And now there's four. And he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the guy that sat on the one he said, what'd you do with the one? He goes, well, master, I was afraid of losing it. And I didn't want to pull up an L. I didn't want to give you a zero. So I hit it. And here it is. And do you know what the master looked at him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. And he cast him out and he said, take his and give it to the guy with 10. That does not sound equitable, does it? I think college campuses across the country right now are freaking out. Student unions are like, what? What is this? He already had 10. But see, here's a kingdom principle that when you take what you have and you give it to grow God's kingdom, God continues to grow you. God continues to provide. God continues to show up. It works in the church. It works in your home, believe it or not. Applied it my, my whole life as an adult. Matter of fact, I wasn't even the first to apply it. My wife was the first. I remember I was like, I work for a church. And she was like, no, we need to tithe. We need to give 10%. And I was like, crazy? And then, as usual, my wife is smarter than me. So I leaned into what she was saying. And I, I'm the leader. Um, <laughs> and I began to do that. And here's what happens. Is sometimes it was hard, but God always blesses it. God always provided. God always gave enough. And guys, here's the thing. In our country right now, there are churches everywhere shutting down. Church buildings shutting down. This one is a bar now. 
It's called uh, Vessel. All over. There's one in, I, I showed it last year at the, this time, um, in Santa Barbara. It's a skate shop now. It's called the Church of Skating, which is funny, right? But like, good on you. God's going to get you though. Um, anyways. And I'm going to be honest with you. At least once a month, I get a call from a church somewhere in the state that says, hey, Sean, we would love to partner with Clovis Hills and become a Clovis Hills campus. And I have to turn it down because we can only handle so many. And it reminds me of the story. I've heard pastors tell this story time and time again, but it, it, it's such a, such a great analogy. Is um, Imagine, you know, there, there, was, there was a man, he was walking along the beach and he saw off in the distance this, this kid and the kid was picking things up and throwing them into the ocean just frantically. And the closer he got, he realized like, oh, the tide had gone out especially far the, this day. And this kid was running and grabbing things and running to the water and throwing them in. And he was very frantic. And as he got closer, he realized, oh, he looked and there was thousands, like 10,000 starfish that had run up a dry because the tide had gone out so far. And this little boy was grabbing starfish by the handful, running to the water and throwing them in, grabbing one, ninja starring them, into the water. And this man walks up and he goes, what are you doing? He goes, these, all these starfish are going to die. I'm rescuing them. And the, the man is like, son, there's too many. You can't rescue all these. You're, it, what good does it do? You can't save them. And the little boy picks another starfish up and he goes, well, it does good for this one. And he threw it in. Guys, we live in a world, we all get it. We see the world we, we live in getting darker and darker, more and more secular. Christianity is on the wane. All the, the tide is going out on spirituality in, in our culture. I get it. And you may say, well, if they're all closing, we might as well just circle the wagons. No. No. The Israelites reading Chronicles, they could have said, we're in Babylon. You know, look at it. Nebuchadnezzar's the king. And trust me, Nebuchadnezzar's way worse than Gavin Newsom. So some of you lighten up. And the, but the writers of Chronicle and the Holy Spirit and God was saying, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done. And when it was at its darkest, God was saying, I ain't done yet. I still got work to do. You still have work to do. Hold on. Live. Faith. Follow me. Trust me. Believe me. Watch what I do. So then we said we're going to set out to not just old churches, but we're going to plant new churches. And I, lo I love what um, David says in verse 14 of Chronicles. He says, But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given only, given you only what comes from your hand. And I want you to think about this. Some of you in this church, you, you set out and you gave generously over and above what your normal giving is, just to keep the ministry of Clovis Hills going. You gave over and above to see churches planted that you may never attend. You're just like David and the Israelites. You said, by faith, God, I'm going to believe that your work is good. 
I just want to give you a little update, guys. Our five church plants, Hope Church in San Diego. They haven't even been around a year yet. They have 83 decisions for salvation. This was last week, and they have 75 baptisms at their church already. (laughs) Killing it. Packed out place. Makers Church in Tacoma, Washington. This was their Easter service. Their first service had over 1,200 people show up at their first service. This is like 30 minutes from Portland, people. You know Portland? Portland, okay, um, and, and, then, and then we thought the church was dead after that because their, their pastor, Jason, Jason Page, got uh, nodules on, on his vocal cords and they thought it was vocal cancer and they did a surgery and he thought he may never talk again and uh, three or four weeks ago he was cleared to speak and they had their first Sunday since that Sunday and I thought there's no way, no one's going to show up. They had 95 people show up at that first Sunday in the school. Ecclesia, which is a church in southeast Fresno that is ministering the people in southeast Fresno. This is one of our growth groups that showed up to bless and feed that church because they meet on, on, sun, on Sunday nights. And that's um, Pastor Sean Tabagahan. And by the way, all of our church planners are named Sean because I'm starting a cult. I don't know if you know this. Um, but, but, you know, in, in, in the last few months, they baptized eight people. The Garage Church in Fresno which is meeting off of Ashland, it's packed out now. As a matter of fact, they had to expand the building they were meeting in. They have over 200 people. Their college group has over 100 college students every Friday night hanging out there. God is on the move in these churches. And here's what I want you to understand. Like there's a thing in scripture that um, when you become a believer, that um, at a certain point you're done consuming and you become a contributor to the, to the family of God. And there are people in this church, believe it or not, they're mature Christians that said, um, they set apart a part of their income every, every month to give to God as their offering because they believe what God has given them has come from them and they're giving it back. And that goes to run the ministries of the church. And then I want you to think about it. A large number of that same group of people decided, you know what? We could give more to see more kingdom work happen. And they dug down deep and they made sacrifices. I know one family that gave up a car in their household. They said, we're not going to have a car payment. We're going to figure out how to go with one less car while we're doing the, the, the rest of race life. And they made sacrifices. So people they may never meet could come to know Jesus. See, this is no different than David and the Israelites. And the call to spiritual maturity, here's what I found, is that um, especially for men, men, I'm going to talk to you right now. I want you to understand something. I've been a, past, a senior pastor for 23 years, and here's what I've noticed. Um, when you start reading the Bible, things change in your life. When you start praying, more things change in your life. You start attending church regularly, getting in a growth group, more things change in your life. But the thing where radical change starts happening in your life is when you decide to start trusting God with your finances. I've seen it too many times in my life. It's almost like a linchpin in your discipleship, and you level up spiritually. Because it's a scary thing. And then we decided we were going to raise up new disciples. That was the third thing. We're going to raise up new disciples. I love what it says in Romans 6, 4. It says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism, right? Buried with Christ in baptism. That's what we say when we baptize people. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might just come to church and sit in a blue chair and critique the music or the sermon. Oh, no. I'm sorry. 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I want you to understand something. When you become a believer in Jesus, your life is supposed to look different. There's a newness that when you lean into that, when you decide to follow Jesus, that things start changing. Sometimes it's overnight. I've met people and it's like, whoa, that, that was fast. And then for other people, it's 30, 40 years and it's just a long, slow change in their life. And all of us have different things we're, we're, we're working on in our life. So I don't want you to feel guilty right now, but I do want you to understand this. Being a Christian doesn't mean you just come to church and sit on the bench. At some point, you have to get in the game and your life has to start changing. We had a young man um, in the last year who gave his life to Christ. I want, I, he, has, he has a testimony he's going to share with you. Um, I love this because he came to Christ as a senior in high school from Clovis North in our youth ministry. And uh, now he's a, um, well, he's a freshman in college. Go ahead, go, ahead, go ahead and watch our friend Nick right now. Growing up, I was in and around church, but I wasn't involved in with God spiritually on like really any level. I didn't know like much of who Jesus was or the whole gospel message. On my mom's side, I had um, been in and around Mormon churches, which negatively influenced my view of what church was supposed to look like. And then on my dad's side, I had um, very like shallow interactions within the church and it just really turned me off up into my teenage years where I began really trying to like figure out like if any if there was any truth to you know maybe what the Bible had said and I was invited to church by my now girlfriend's family and a month later I gave my life to Christ and before I had really started attending church regularly and involving myself with um, volunteering and God and whatnot, I was a much more um, shallow and arrogant person. I had been um, very self-centered yet insecure. I put a lot of my self-worth within relationships and girls that I had, you know, known and that had caused me to be, feel very lonely and very um, isolated and just yearning. Like there was a huge sense of yearning and coming to the hills, I finally felt like a sense of belonging. I didn't even really feel when I'd, you know, been at home. And so that was just like such like a huge reason for why I can continue to come back is the sense of family and support that you have here. Like you'll always have people who recognize you and remember you and are excited to see that you've come back and whatnot. It's just so amazing. And through serving in the youth, I've really been engaged more to really take my relationship with God to the next level so I can reach more people and I can bring in friends and family and just really grow the spirit within those I love. Just earlier this year, back in March, I had gotten baptized with um, a couple of, of my friends who had also uh, decided to make the decision and it was a very freeing thing like I'd never had such a public display of like 
my relationship with God. And there was nothing more vulnerable in that moment, but that vulnerability was validated by the genuine like love and support I had coming up out of the water. And there was just nothing better than that. My name is Nick McGraw and I have been raised to life and I'm all in. So I, I want to remind you, especially those of you that are here at North Campus today, um, this, this is just a young man that gave his life to Christ, stepped into discipleship, right away started serving. You may not know it, but he was here at 7 a.m. helping get the coffee ready for you. Yeah, praise the Lord for coffee, right? I, I want you to think about that, though. Like, guys, so many times, it's so easy to sit on the bench and not get in the game. It's way easier to just kind of watch and say, oh, good job, or critique, or whatever, whatever it is. But the greatest thing you can do is to get in the game. And it doesn't mean you have to, everyone has to serve coffee. Then there'd be too much coffee, okay? But, but I want you to, what I want you to do is I want you to begin praying, God, how can I contribute to your kingdom? And then I want you to have the faith to get out of your blue chair and start doing whatever it is God's calling you to do. And it might be something on a campus. It might be something outside in your community. It might be starting a new ministry. It might be becoming part of a ministry that's already existing somewhere. Some of you, I believe, God's probably calling you to go help out at our Selma campus right now. Some of you, it's just praying, it's starting to pray for those that are, that are far from God. On every one of our campuses, we have a prayer box. Our, the one at this one is outside the door, that door out there. There's paper by it, and you put someone's name on it, and you find that one person that you're going to pray for, that you're going to invite to church, that you're going to invite to hear the gospel. You're going to invite into a relationship with Jesus and begin praying for them and put their name in that box. But if we begin to pray and you begin to serve, that last part is begin to give. Watch what God does in your life when you begin to take those steps. It may not be an instant thing, but I will tell you this. God will grow you and God will bless you. You may not get richer from it, but you will be richer from it. At the end of Chronicles, right? We read First Chronicles. At the end of Second Chronicles, I was reading it re recently. And um, I've been reading through the Bible. I read through the Bible in a different translation every year. And this year I'm using the message translation, which has been pretty fun. And in Second Chronicles 29, 10 through 19, um, it says something that kind of just grabbed me. I had never, it never grabbed me like that before. And sometimes a new translation does that. You've heard it the same way before and then you hear it in a new translation and it gets you. And I want to read it to you because I, I think this has everything to do. Because some of you are like, well, what, what am I supposed to do with this, Pastor? And see, at the end of Chronicles, there's the last good king of Israel. 
And see, Israel's history was really interesting. And the reason Chronicles is telling the history of Israel is to remind people in the darkest of times that God is still on the throne. And what would happen with Israel is they started with, you know, King David. And David was a righteous king and he loved the Lord. And then Solomon was pretty good. And then after Solomon, his, his son was awful and didn't follow the Lord and turned people away from the Lord and led the country away from the Lord and led the culture away from the Lord. And before you know it, Israel is on this, like, spiritual roller coaster that several generations would walk away from God and then they would something bad would happen or be some kind of trial or some kind of trauma and it would draw the people back to God and they would repent and the kings would repent and they'd come back to God and then and then times would be good and when times got good they'd kind of just do the slow fade away from God again I guess I don't need them anymore and then over generations, they would be turning from God and they would be, be turning to wickedness and away from God. And it was just time and time again. And then they'd come back to God because something bad happened. It was just over and over. But at the end of Chronicles, the last righteous king of Israel, his name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah saw all the wickedness in the land and he said, I can't live with this. And I love what he says in verse 10 and 11. He says, I've decided to make a covenant with the God of Israel and turn history around. I want to read that to you again. I've decided to make a covenant with the God of Israel and turn history around. So that God will no longer be angry with us. Children, don't Drag your feet in this. God has chosen you to take your place before him and to serve, conducting and leading worship. This is your life work. Make sure you do it and do it well. See, what, what Hezekiah was saying is, I've decided to make this covenant with God. I'm making this promise with God that, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do this. Hezekiah did not do it perfectly, by the way. If you read the rest of the story, he had issues. But he made that, he set his heart toward God. And then he said, and turn history around. I believe this today. Some of you in this room, God has a greater history for your life. And if you would make the courageous decision to lean into him, to lean into faith, to lean into the son Jesus, you will turn the history of your family around. You will turn the history of your neighborhood around. You will turn the history of your home around. You will turn your personal history around because the plans that God has for you are so much better. but you have to be courageous in it. I can't make that decision for you. Some of you today, your first step to turn history around in your life is to actually surrender and bow your knee to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? John said it in John 1.12. He said, but as many as received him to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. That you open your heart and you say, Jesus, I realize I have been going my way and it leads to death. And I want yours. I don't know how to do it. I'm trusting that you're going to show me, but I believe in you and I believe that you've died for my sins and I want you. 
Jesus even gives this metaphor in Revelation 3.20, right? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in and dine with them. That the God of the universe stands at the door of your heart wanting a relationship with you, wanting to know you, wanting to see you turn history around. But he's left you ridiculously in charge of that choice. And you have to open your heart and do that. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity if you've never done that before. Some of you, you made that decision, but you, you've heard this, right? Somewhere along the way, you were like Israel. I'm not much different than Israel, right? When times are good, I'm like, I got this, God. And then I end up screwing up things. And then I come back to God. And this is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus is always right there. And you may be in a prodigal moment in your life running from God, but today he wants to turn your history around. But you've got to make that choice to come home to him. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk to God. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes.